welcome to the Last of Us Says podcast. My name is Alyssa, and I am the author of Platanos Are Love, which just came out this April, and of the upcoming picture book, The Bronx Is My Home, which comes out this October. Today, I am joined by Johnny, Sheila, Jackie, Anna, and Maria. We are talking about the power of love and writing our culture and the community as Latinx authors and illustrators. Ana, can you start us off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your book? So, well, my the last book that came out uh, was Abuela Supercapa, and it's about a boy. Um, he plays superheroes based on my own experience. My son and my uh, mom used to play superheroes all the time. And then the abuela gets sick and he has to learn how to deal with uh, that grieving and that um, different, uh, different life with abuela. And I also got a board book called Brazil. And of course, it's all about Brazil. And I have some other books coming out in 2024, 2025. So I'm really happy to represent my culture, my community in my books. Anna is always very, very busy. <laughs> Johnny, can you tell us about your book? Yes, my most recent uh, book is a contemporary young adult novel called Ander and Santi were here, which is about a non-binary muralist um, who's taking a gap year before going off to college and falls in love or falls for, I, it's it's a good insta-love, but also insta-lust story um, for the newest waiter at their family's taqueria. Um, it is a story of love, of just community and family and platonic and romantic um, and yourself and the things that you want to give your community um, with a bunch of San Antonio, Texas vibes and Mexican food and, and all of that sort of things. Anything with food, I'm I'm in. Jackie, why don't you tell us about your book? Yeah, um, my debut picture book, Abuelo's Flower Shop, comes out uh, spring 2024 from Beaming Books. And it's also inspired by my own experience. It's about a young girl who is working alongside her abuelo in his flower shop and he sells flowers from the street. And she learns to discover the heartbreaking truth about the garden across the way. And with his support, um, learns that even sad places can be beautiful and that their flowers send a really special message to those in need. Hi, I'm Sheila Cologne Bagley. And my debut picture book, La Noche Before Three Kings Day, is beautifully illustrated by Alejandro Mesa, and it captures the magic and wonder of this wonderful Latine holiday uh, by following a young girl and her family as they prepare to um, receive the Three Kings. Um, and it is coming out in September by HarperCollins. Love that. Love that. Maria, can you tell us about your book? Hi, my name is Maria Dolores Aguila, and my debut picture book, Barrio Rising, illustrated by Magdalena Mora, comes out in winter, spring 2024. Um, Barrio Rising unfolds through the determined voice of a girl participating in the protest that led to the creation of the iconic park in San Diego. Um, it also will be in Spanish as El Barrio Se Levanta, translated by David Foles. That's awesome. As a political science major and a political like junkie, that makes my heart like super excited. I think, you know, engaging kids in the value of protesting and engaging in like civic duties is super important at a young age. So I love that. Um, Anna, um, yes. Can I just add one little thing? I forgot to tell about my illustrators and I feel really bad about it. So the illustrator for Abuela Supercapa is the amazing Elisa Shavari. And the illustrator for Brazil is Ana Matsuzaki. She is also a Brazilian and she lives in Brazil. So I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for their amazing illustrations. Okay, me too. My amazing illustrator is Daisy Lino. <laughs> and I'm so sorry, Daisy. I love your work. I'm super excited to have it tied with, with my words. Yeah, illustrators, they, they bring the story to life. The first time I saw... The illustrations that Maria put together for Platanos Are Love, I looked like a crazy person because I was I was at work and I just like was like sobbing uncontrollably. And you can't show anyone. I was just like, I promise they're good tears. Um, and let's just say crying is very normal in my workplace. So they were just like, uh-oh, what happened now? But this is a good uh-oh. 
Um, so yeah, moving on to the questions. Um, I just want to talk about first, like, why are you drawn to write about culture and family? Like, obviously, when when we're writing, we can write about anything, but why culture and family? And Johnny, can you kick us off? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think like one that there's just such a beauty in experience and in celebrating and getting to celebrate my Mexican culture and family um, being in this sort of intersectional lens of being Mexican, but also queer. Um, and also just been being truthful about the issues within my culture is something that I really want to bring to my stories within the Mexican and Chicana and Tejala families and communities. I grew up like in a small Southeast Texas town afraid of embracing my queerness and wanting to assimilate myself and separate myself from my Mexicanness. And now being someone who proudly embraces and loves both, I, I want to bring those into my stories. I couldn't imagine writing anything else. I'm, I'm gonna date myself. I grew up in the seventies where there were virtually no books with people and families that looked and sounded like mine. And then that was normal back then. I, I, I really didn't think anything about it, but fast forward and then I had my own children. My daughter is now 21. There have been a lot of strides, but I, I think there's a great opportunity for us to share our culture um, with others, as well as allow our children to be seeing books, um, which we all know representation really matters. And it's important for everyone to be seen. And for me, my driving force is my daughters um, and other children like them so that they can see themselves in a, in a picture book. So what draws me to write about our culture and community is that so I grew up in the 90s and the closest like I love to read and my favorite series was a babysitter club series and I desperately wanted there to be like a Latina character but there wasn't so like I just like clung to the Claudia character because I felt like I related most to her but it wasn't until I went to seventh grade and we read the house on Mango Street that I finally read a book that had um a Chicana character and I mean Growing up, you know, my parents didn't have a lot of money, so we all, you know, I, there wasn't also an opportunity for me to buy books, and I fell in love with that Mango Street book so much that I stole it from the classroom set <laughs> one day, like, I totally planned it out, and when everybody was supposed to put it away, I had it in my notebook, and I just slid it in there and closed it, and I was like, oh my god, I finally got a book. <laughs> so, fortunately, my kids haven't had that experience. From day one, they've got to read books with people that represent themselves. So that's what draws me because I know what it's like to so desperately want to see yourself in the narrative, in control of the events that are going on. You were always a rebel, Maria. I'm like learning so much about you. <laughs> I love that story so much. I actually did something similar. So I feel like we need to we need to have another like conversation about like in a future podcast, like, <laughs> For sure. and, like trying to get these books and the weird things that we did. But sorry to interrupt. Go for it, Jackie. Maria, do you still have it, that copy? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I also love this question. I think for me, when I started writing, I actually thought that I couldn't write about my culture and my community. And so I thought my books had to be like the ones that were already out there. And obviously those were cultures and families that were not like my own and it wasn't working. Um, so I'm not really sure what drew me or when I decided or if there was even a specific moment beyond just like feeling like it wasn't fitting right. Um, but now I'm drawn to continue so that readers and writers out there never find themselves in that position of wondering if their stories have value and if they can write about their culture and their community and be as authentic as possible. And I'm really grateful for the authors who paved the way for that and authors like yourselves who are doing the same thing and future authors as well. <laughs> I agree with everyone that we all want to see the kids represented in the books, right? And we want other kids to learn about each other through books, like that we are different, but we are the same. And, and, and I think that's very important. For me, I, I'm a mixed culture, like American, Cuban, Brazilian, because I'm Brazilian. My husband is Cuban. And I have my stepdaughter is Cuban. And so we are American, Cuban, Brazilian. It's a mix of cultures. And I think it's it's really beautiful to represent that culture. It is easier, unfortunately, it's still easier 
to do books uh, representing the Hispanic culture than the Brazilian culture. So I got, uh, I have my uh, graphic novel, Boitata is a legend from Brazil, and I have the board book, Brazil, it's about Brazil, but most of my books is a mix. It was going to be a mix, like Bayer's Recipe for Success, we have, I, we decided to go with the recipe, Povorones with Dulce de Leche, because in Brazil, we do something similar that's called Casadinhos, and the Casadinhos is with Dulce de Leche, even though in Cuba, the Povorone is normal with guava. So I try to mix and match the cultures, like the way it, it is in my life. But I really, like, now I don't do a lot of uh, school presentations because I teach full-time. But when I do, I, I, I can see how important it is for the kids, especially because they sometimes they don't feel proud of their culture. They feel like, okay, I have to fit in in this classroom, right? And I have to speak English. So when I do my presentations, I'm, I give special attention to like, who knows what that word means? Because my books always have uh, words in Spanish sprinkled throughout. I say, who knows what that means? Or who has experienced that? They feel so proud of being able to say, yes, I have tried Povorones. I know what Dulce de Leche is. And things like that, that it's so special. And we can see that can make a difference. And so I think it's it, it's something that I'm very proud of. And I, I'm happy to see that they get proud of that. I always tell them it's a superpower. If you know more than one language, if you uh, belong to more than one culture, it is a superpower and, and they feel really proud. So we, we have to keep going. I couldn't agree more with what everyone has said. And I actually just did an author visit this past Friday. Um, and it was exactly what you said, Anna. Like, they're just so excited. Like, they most of them eat platanos. Like, very few of them have never tried it. So they're like, I like to eat it with this. I like to eat it with that. My uncle makes the best platanos. No, my titi makes the best ones. And they just, like, glow. Like, it's just, like, I wanted to be an author since I was seven years old. And then decided like against it because you know the whole like you have to be a doctor or a lawyer thing um but when I was refocusing on becoming the thing that seven-year-old very wise me wanted to be I focused on writing the stories that I felt were missing and the stories that I felt were missing were the ones that were about our culture and our family and um I don't think that was a coincidence because once I started writing our stories down and um, writing about our family, like it just, it clicked that it's like, no wonder you were such a reluctant reader when you were in school because you were being handed like Little House on the Prairie, which like not trying to like, you know, this Little House on the Prairie, you know, it has its space in literature, but it's like, I was not handed a like a book about us until I was in college. Like, it, it's insane. Like, yes, I also like had a had a moment with um, House on Mango Street and found that like in high school. But it's like, why did it take me until high school to be exposed to it? And like, same thing when I first read In the Time of the Butterflies, I always looked up to my grandmother, but a lot of her stories it was hard to tell which ones were true and which ones were like, it's a hit out, you know? But then I read In the Time of the Butterflies and I was like, oh my God, like this is what Abuela has, like the story she's been telling me. So I know how important it was for me to see representation, to feel seen on the page. And now to be able to see that when I do school visits and author visits, it's just like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I've, I'm done. Like <laughs> I'm done searching. This is, this is it. Um, and as for the next question, I just wanted to find out, like, we kind of talked about it a little bit, if your stories are based on your real experiences. And I'd say that overall, mine, mine definitely are. Um, Johnny? Um, it's definitely <clears throat> been a mix. Uh, my first book, 1500 Miles from the Sun, became early on in the first draft, a lot more personal and real than I intended it to be. And it kind of just kept on becoming that way. Um, of just a story of growing up queer and closeted while Mexican and how machismo culture affects AMAB young people and like all of the different ways growing up that sort of inserts itself into life. Um, which like in, in one part 
it's really great to like hear from readers that like felt so connected and in community because that story was in some ways so personal. Um, but also at the same time, like I have like interviewers being like, okay, let's talk about your daddy issues. And it's like, I don't necessarily want to be tied to this as like, it's not, a, it's not a biography by any means. Like, let's kind of, can we talk about anything else? Um, so it, it has been an up and down. And I think that's why with Ander and Santi were here, like it became just not very much anything in particular from my own life. Um, it was inspired by a lot of like the emotions and what I was going through during the pandemic because I wrote it in 2020. But besides that, there really isn't anything based on personal life. Um, but for my third book, Canto Contigo, um, we are <clears throat> back to hitting a little close to home. It, I describe it as like about the epic highs and lows of high school mariachi, but it also is like in part a grief book dedicated to my granddad who lived for many years with Parkinson's and was also an incredible mariachi and like what it was like to slowly lose someone so incredible and powerful. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of just like fluctuates between, I'll, I'll do a little personal and then go back to like, no, I'm gonna separate myself for a little while. Yeah, for me, um, it's a mix, uh, have mixed elements of real and fiction and, and fantasy, obviously, because it's Three Kings Day. And um, for me, the, uh, the realities were that I really wanted to include were uh, how my family celebrates it. Um, I don't have a huge family, so in that sense, that part is fictionalized, um, but the foods we eat, the excitement, all of those things that my girls have always experienced, um, especially living in an area that does not have a huge representation of Latinos, um, Puerto Ricans in, in particular. Um, for them, I, I wanted to, again, include the things that they see, um, what our family goes through and how excited they, they were to decorate their little boxes. Um, and set them out for the three kings. And the next morning, you know, we'd be getting ready for school just at the same time that they're opening up their boxes. Um, so I, those are the elements that I wanted to include and capture, um, mixing it in with the magic and the fantasy. For me, his, um, Barrio Rising is basically a historical fiction. So it is based on a real experience. Is it my personal experience? Not necessarily. But I live in San Diego and I live like five minutes away from Chicano Park. So I grew up so close my entire life. And I even took Mexican-American studies in high school and they still didn't teach us about it. So, um, you know, when I was a kid, my mom protest, uh, participated in a protest. It wasn't the Chicano Park one, but I remember she took me with her house to house to gather signatures and all that stuff. And I remember being deeply inspired and impacted by being with her doing that, which is why in Barrio Rising, we are with a, a young activist with her mother participating in this because um, I feel like there is a lot of things about, um, you know, historical events that may have happened within the Latin community, but I feel like they're so focused on like the masculine uh, participants of the events and doesn't really focus on like, you know, the women and children, other people that were a part of that. Um, you know, there it's often like they'll be the guys going to be the protesters and the girls are just like the workers. So I just wanted to highlight like that experience that happened during the protest, like how, you know, they took care of people for 12 days in a park. <laughs> so um, it, Buddy Raising is a historical fiction technically, but it's very much based in a real experience that happened. I love that, Maria, that's so interesting. Um, for me, it's, they're definitely inspired by my own experience. My debut, Abuelo's Flower Shop, is inspired by my experience visiting my abuelos who sold flowers again from their sidewalk in front of their house in Miami. And it was catty cornered from a cemetery, which I didn't really understand until I was a little bit older. Um, and I find that most of my picture books especially are really deeply rooted in nostalgia. And um, so there's a couple that are, that are inspired by real life, but I also write a little bit for young adult and I'm surprising myself with how much of my lived experience that I'm allowing to exist on the page. And it's definitely scary and maybe I'll regret that. I don't know, Johnny, you can <laughs> um, maybe shine a light on that in another conversation. But um, yeah, I think that's just, if we're gonna be 
true to ourselves and as authentic as we can be, um, there's always going to be a little bit of us in our in our writing. Yes, I agree. We we always going to be in our books, right? And funny thing that all my books are basically basically it's based on my experience, of course. Uh, I, I taught a class with Sara Fajardo, like how to make your personal stories universal. So uh, you have to make changes to make the book maybe more interesting or more fun, more kid friendly. So you will make some changes, of course. But even like my Bruja book is based on my real life. So it was like about my daughters, but it wasn't the babysitter, it was me even though I was never a mean mom, but she said I was not her real mom. I was a bruja and she was shouting throughout the, the whole neighborhood. I had to walk with her and she was like, so that the story is based on that. And all my stories are based either on my own experience or the experience I had with my kids, with my uh, grandkids. And, but as I said, I, I, I make changes. So the story becomes more interesting. So instead of the mom being the bruja, I changed it to the babysitter. I thought it was more believable. Who's going to believe a daughter thinks her mom is a bruja? So, you know, and just because I told that we had to leave the beach, we have to go now, it's time to go. And, and that, that's when she started all this stuff. So Bella is also about... Uh, not only based on my my daughter too, because she was very perfectionist and Belle is all about learning to make mistakes, but also from my teaching community, because I'm a teacher. So I can see a lot of students struggling with being perfectionist and not um, feeling ready to make mistakes and try again. So I agree with Jackie, we are always in our stories, somehow our experiences, everything that we go through will be in our stories, even if it's fiction, but we are there. Definitely. Yeah. To echo what everyone says, it's, it's, it's a balance. I, I'd say all of my books are influenced by my real life experiences because I think I can write best from what I know, but you know, did my grandmother actually say platanos are love like verbatim? Not that I can recall, <laughs> but she showed me that they are, right? So it's like you take creative liberties where it makes sense for the sake of the narrative, but at at its heart, like that's basically what she said. Um, so yeah, speaking of balance, um, how do we balance all of the cultures and communities that we are part of? You know, as authors, as people, we're intersectional and we have overlapping identities and are part of multiple communities. So how do we balance those things? Um, Maria, can you kick us off? Um, so I would say I'm just really bad at balancing things. <laughs> I don't really balance anything um, in any community that I'm a part of. What I just try to do is try to center the most marginalized people within that community. I, I always identify mostly with being within the Chicana community. So within the Chicana community, highlighting um, you know, creators that um, are LGBTQ or, um, you know, different, <laughs> how do I, I don't want to like, you know, single like certain communities out, but like, or have disabilities or something, you know, something that makes them more impacted by our shared marginalization um to bring them more forefront to the center because i think that what benefits the most marginalized benefits all of us so um that's what i try to go for but i do i i don't i don't think i do a very good job about balancing all the communities that i'm a part of i'm either too much into one or too much into other i'm not i'm not good with balance <laughs> balance is hard almost impossible i i feel like I'm still identifying and defining what those cultures and communities look like for myself. And that's always changing. And so both of my parents were born in Cuba and their parents before them and their parents before them. And I, I grew up in Miami. We're honest to God. I thought everyone in the world was Cuban until I was like six. <laughs> so I've always kind of identified as just Cuban, but then also like not Cuban enough or like maybe not Cuban at all. And so you're just always battling that. And um, there's just so much distance between me and that culture and that island. Like there's miles and an ocean and memories that aren't mine, but are still there. And they're just like the little stepping stones between here and there. And then there's um, 
like the distance that I created in my own identity as I got older and as I moved away and as I got married and just like as an adult. Um, and so I think balance for me now is like more of a rediscovery and seeing like where things go on each side and having it see if it weighs out and it's kind of writing my way back to maybe who I've always been and hopefully creating a balance that way. Yeah, so let's talk about um, talking about balance too. I, of course, I belong to many communities. And as I said, my family is a Brazilian, Cuban, uh, American, um, all mix and match. So I speak all three languages in one sentence sometimes. And, you know, uh, my some of my grandkids call me abuela, that is in Spanish. Some of my grandkids call me vovó, that's in Portuguese. So I'm always leaving this mixed experience. And I think I, I try to pass that also in my book. As I said, the Brazilian culture is still a little harder to get uh, into my books, but I'm getting there. And uh, one of my books that are coming out in... 2025. It's called Sticky Hermanas. The editor, I love her, Karen Boss from Charles Bridge. She is amazing. And she said, let's put both cultures in the book. So I'm really happy that I mix. I have like brigaderos. I have a lot of soccer, but I also have a lot about the, the Cuban carriolas and the Cuban families. So I mix and match all the cultures. So I'm really happy that she opened that door for me. And I hope we, I can get more. I had a story that I wrote about a boy who's a samba dancer. It's kind of Cinderella fairy tale, uh, fractured fairy tale, right? And it's called Sambarello because he wants to be a samba dancer. It's not about meeting the prince or anything. It's like a, a samba audition. It's still getting some uh, like passes. And I don't know, it's, it's still hard. I have like Joana Pastro, Ana Crespo uh, trying to break their barrier. It's even harder than breaking the, the in Spanish. But I think like, you know, all my communities and all my being abuela, being a teacher, being a mom, being Brazilian, being Cuban and American, everything mix and match in my books. And I'm trying to put that, more of that. And I really appreciate my illustrators, both for Bellas Recipe for Success, Geraldine Rodriguez and Elisa Chavari. They both drew characters with the Brazilian jersey in the book. So it's really like, you know, they did that on their own. They said, let's put a little bit of Brazil in the book too. So that's what I'm trying to get, to mix even more of my Brazilian culture into my books. For me, what I hope to do in my writing is show that there's just not one singular way of being queer and Chicana. Like, I think that there's definitely not a singular way to be AMAB and like boys and also be brown and Mexican. And even within just a few hundred miles, these experiences can differ drastically and queer culture resonates differently and how you grow up surrounded by the Mexican and Chicana communities resonates differently. Like we can be footballistas and artists and musicians and we can have family that embraces us in our queerness or we can have family who never will. And we can have been proudly who we are since birth while also maybe just discovering parts of ourselves at 18. So I think recognizing that there isn't one singular viewpoint, perspective or way of being is how I try to best balance it in my own writing. But also from a publishing perspective, I am in an ideal place where I get to write very queer, very Chicana, very QTBIPOC stories and have never really ever gotten the note, this is too Mexican. Like, so luckily balance for the sake of a sales team isn't something I've had to consider that maybe some authors here in this podcast episode have experience. I know Musas and author friends who have been in that position. And I think pushing that limit as someone who doesn't face that hopefully will then show their publishers, other publishing teams that readers do want that authenticity, that we want balance or, or maybe even a very purposeful imbalance in terms of like remembering that our stories are first mirrors for my intended audience and then they're a window for those outside of it. Yeah, I agree with you, Johnny. I'm so glad you said that there is no one way to be Latine. Um, and we all come from such mixed cultures, mixed backgrounds. Um, my parents were born in Puerto Rico and their parents and the parents before them, and who knows what, the, what their great-grandparents were from. 
Um, my husband is of mixed race and mixed heritage. So my children are of mixed race, multicultural, and we bring all of these experiences to the table and to our books. Um, and what I'm learning is we can have it all, just not at the same time, and that's okay. <laughs> and we get to hopefully write more books. Um, and and I, that's my approach to balancing uh, is bringing little piece of me, my culture, my children's culture um, into each book that I write, maybe in a different way. I agree. Yeah, I'm I'm like struggling for sure with balance. I'm I'm with you, Maria. Like it's. <laughs> And I think part of it is because I write picture books, so they have to be like so focused. Um, in my next book that comes out, The Bronx is My Home, the character is way more like Puerto Rican. Um, and then in my third book that comes out, Gloriana Presente, a first day of school book, the character is way more Dominican. In a picture book, it's so hard to like incorporate all of the complexities of my identity. So I'm actually really excited to learn more about writing middle grade. I've been reading a lot of books about like writing middle grade and writing a novel because I feel like that will be an opportunity for me to like lean into all of the things. Um, Will it be balanced? Absolutely not. But I think it'll give me more room to like show the complexity of being like both Dominican and Puerto Rican and queer and all of those things and like being black and like all of the things where I was like when I was in middle school, which is really when I started to be more aware of those things, how messy it got. Um, Similar to Jackie, I thought everyone was Dominican until I was like seven when I went to school because Dominicans, you know, I have like blonde haired, blue eyed cousins. And then I have like me kind of in the middle and then I have darker cousins. So it's like Dominicans look like everyone. And then it wasn't until I went to school and I was like, oh, wait, what? Like, (laughs) Um, so I think that's like the perfect time, like that middle grade to like really explore all of the complexities and all of the intersections and all that. So Johnny, I might be like bugging you for for some tips on writing novels because it's a lot different from writing picture books. <laughs> um, <a> more novel. <laughs> I'll get there one day. I think I'm going to start with middle grade first and then I'm going to you're going to tap into to YA. Um, So I wanted to talk about why it's important to show our culture and our community. We've talked about, you know, the importance of representation and, you know, we've shared some like specific experiences like during school visits or anything like that. But is there anything else that um, you all want to like highlight as to why it's important? Maybe another like specific experience. Um, Would love to hear that. We can start off with Maria. So I wrote Barrio Rising because at the time I was just forming a PTA at my kid's school and I could not get anyone to join. And I was so frustrated and I was like, you know what? I see books as social capital for the people that read them. If I write a book about how my community organized and achieve a huge thing, and then people would read it and they would be like, wow, we could do that if they did that. So I see books as social capital for the communities that we write them for so they can see that wow, this person, this character in this book, they experienced this and I'm going through something similar. I saw how they solved that problem. So I'm going to solve it, you know, in my own way, but I'm going to take inspiration from them. So that's why I write for social capital, because I mean, there's more picture books about animals than there is about our communities. If you don't see your experience or you don't see a window to another person's experience, in books, then you're not going to be sympathetic or empathetic to that other, other people's experience. So that's why, that's why I, I wrote Body Rising and that's why I write because I want to provide the social capital to my community so they are able to organize. Yeah, absolutely. I, those numbers on like the amount of main characters in picture books that are animals versus like different groups is just astonishing um, and it's not getting better any faster. And I think, you know, a a couple people or maybe everyone has touched on it at this point, but I never saw myself on the page really. And I I want a different bookshelf for my son and for kids and future generations. And I think just in general, it's important because every interaction, no matter how small, whether it's real or on, on, in a book um, with a person who may appear different from you because of how they look or how they sound or where they're from, it opens hearts and minds and that kind of exposure is essential and 
hopefully will never be taken away from us as we know it it's slowly in certain certain spaces is being um so yeah i think that's that's what's the most important to me yes i agree like for me especially as a teacher and i train to be a, what we call a global educator and a global educator basically have to teach kids to be global citizens because nowadays with all the globalization everybody you know, communicate with everybody and um, have your own critical thinking and learning about perspectives. So when you present your culture, your community in a book, it might destroy some uh, preconceptions, prejudice, and things that people might have. For example, I love the book, uh, Proud is Blue. I don't know if I have, I say her name right. Ibita Mohammed. I don't know if anybody knows how to say her name. Or you can help me. And the kids are making fun of the sister. The sister is wearing a hijab and is going to school. And the younger sister is the one telling the story. And she's super proud that her sister is wearing the hijab and going to school. And all the other kids are making fun of her. But when you see that through a story and you, uh, as Maria said, you empathize with the main character and you can feel what she's feeling, that she's really sad that everybody's making fun of her sister. I think kids will also learn more about, you know, about others and stop start understanding better the others and start accepting them better and seeing that there are different perspectives according to your culture according to your difference but it doesn't make you a different person you are still a human being we still have universal feelings you're still going to feel sad if people make fun of you or if they don't understand your culture so I think it's so important because you know there are people from all cultures here in this country and every country so we need to understand each other and I think that's one of the reasons too I think it's really important to show our community and our culture so people it's going to be the window and hopefully the door and um and also of course always the mirror always like the representation that is so important for us to feel proud about ourselves yeah when I think about the importance of showing culture and community. I think first and foremost, it's because it would make the story different. Like it it would, by just having a character that looks like us would be different from the usual white centered storylines. My first book was literally taking Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda and wanting to answer the question, how would Simon Spears's journey be different if he was a gay brown Chicano living in Corpus Christi, Texas, because in so many ways it would be, and it is. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. And it's also important to make that space for stories with different perspectives, but even similar vibes. Like, even if it's just a, I, this is a whole story about inviting my crush to prom, whether it is a like white main character, a Latina main character, an Asian main character, these are all going to be three drastically different stories even if the plot or the inciting incident or anything like that is the same. Um, and so making space for those different sort of aspects and cultures and characters to exist is um, hugely important. Yeah, for me, it's the mirrors and windows, you know, as well as the um, global aspect of um, exposing children to different cultures. Um, I think, especially nowadays, it's highly likely that your book is the only place that this person is going to meet or see a person that may look like us and live like us. Um, when I say us, I mean Latina culture. Um, one example related to La Noche Before Three Kings Day, um, when my little one, when my eldest was in first grade, um, she asked to celebrate Three Kings Day and we did. And then um, she had a friend over, um, her best friend was Caucasian and Mormon. <laughs> And she was telling her all about Three Kings Day, how she was going to decorate her box and all these things that she was doing to prepare for Three Kings Day. And lo and behold, her little friend went home and asked her mom because she put out a box for the Three Kings to bring her gifts. And I thought that was such a touching story when her mom calls me and, and she's asking me, what do we do? How do we do this? Um, and then even better, the next day they were comparing um, what the three kings had brought them. So um, that was just such a touching story um, 
and I, that, that's that's why we write, um, hopefully, uh, to expose other children, but also for our children to be seen. I love that experience, and I'm I'm so excited for my daughter to have those types of moments. She's she's three, so she's like right at that like you know age um, where it's like starting to happen. And you know, as we've mentioned, like the importance of mirrors, the importance of of windows. Um, when I do author visits, like to see their faces like light up as we're like talking about tostones and mangu and um, it's a picture book. So obviously I couldn't write all of the ways that we eat platano. So it's fun to hear them like talk about like pastelón and mofongo and like the the other ways that I couldn't incorporate into the book for the sake of, you know, the, the length of it. So it's like so cool to hear them be all excited about that. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to mention is I think it's extremely clear that the work that we're doing of showing our culture and our communities in books, the reason why it's important is because it's now starting to be banned, right? Like if the work that we were doing wasn't important, there wouldn't be this counter like movement to try to erase our stories from the page, like, and make them inaccessible. And it's because of those beautiful moments, like the one that your, you know, kids had, where they're seeing each other as like, peers you know like they're they're fostering that empathy and like seeing how like yeah we're different but we're not that different and we should love each other and respect each other and treat each other with like dignity and respect and that is really scary for the powers that be um that I mean like if more kids grow up with that idea like our society would just change and it wouldn't be you know as exploitive and um, as corrupt and as messed up as it is. So for the people that benefit with things being the way that they currently are, it's scary to them. And so for me, it's it's more fuel, right? Like it's, I write for seven-year-old Alyssa that wanted to be an author. I write for my daughter so that she is exposed to the books that I unfortunately didn't have access to until I was in high school and college. But I also know that my fuel for continuing to do this is because we are disrupting the way society is and we are calling out, it's like an invitation to encourage others to see our shared humanity. And I think that's a beautiful thing and it's a scary thing. Um, and that's our responsibility as as writers, as creators. And um, yeah, it's it's why we're important, <laughs> I think, at our core. The people who, you know, control the narrative and control the stories are the ones that can change the trajectory of our society. And as long as we keep writing these beautiful, diverse stories that are complex and that, you know, are empowering are the next generations are going to be that way and they're going to ch- they're going to challenge the status quo and they're going to disrupt and they're going to protest right they're going to be like no this is this is not the way it should be um and they're going to continue to push that envelope for the betterment of everyone so yeah that also kind of answers the, our last question um which is like what do you hope readers will walk away knowing or feeling about your culture and community when they read your book um for me it's Part of that, like knowing that they are important, knowing that they they matter and knowing that we have this shared humanity, that we have this responsibility to make room for everyone and for each other. Um, but I'd love to hear what you all want, like hope your your readers will will know and feel when they read your books. For me, I just want my reader to walk away feeling empowered. Like I want them to feel empowered to take on and change things that they don't like about their community um things that they in their neighborhood i just want them to feel like there's a history of resistance and resilience in my community and i'm gonna and i and i can i'm in control of this narrative that's my life right so for me that's my singular focus empowerment i just want them to feel like they can control their future, their reality, their community. Wouldn't it have been so nice to have that when we were younger? Um, Yeah, I think there's been a lot of 
like talking about windows and, and mirrors. And I think I want readers to walk away feeling like that window is not bolted down. They can open it and they can come inside and they can experience it and they can um, leave and they can come back again and they should come back again because our stories aren't just about like peeking in and not being part of it. Um, so I want them to feel like it's an invitation and um, it's just as important and interesting and worthy as any other story and it should therefore be revisited. Yes, well, for me, I, I I want what I already said, like, I want them to feel proud, I want them to know their culture is special, that they can be whatever they want to be, they, they don't have to follow a pattern or stereotypes that people put on them. And I want them to feel joy when they're reading my book, that they, I want them to laugh and they feel that, you know, it's not all about serious issues or things like that. We we can have joy, we can be scientists, we can be brujas, we can be uh, whatever we want to be. I also wanted to learn about each other. And I think I always try to put on my books a little bit about, we don't know a person until we really know what this person is going through and their story. So for example, in Bruja, the girl thinks the bruja, the babysitter is a bruja and she's really mean and she wants to get rid of the bruja. But then in the end, she will discover the, the babysitter is really fun. If she is a bruja or not, each kid will decide. You know, it's up to the reader. Uh, my book, Mommy's Heart, the same thing. Mom's got a new date and the girl thinks, oh, the new date wants to steal from, from Mommy's Heart. But in the end, I always have this theme, I think, you know, sometimes it's stronger, sometimes it's stronger, but we don't know a person until we know that person. And, you know, we should be willing to learn about each other before we judge each other, because we are different, but we are the same. And so that is basically what I want my reader to, to also learn from my books. I, um, it's my hope that like Mexicans, Chicanas, Tejanas, and especially those of any queer experience find a home in my stories that they find themselves and their friends and families, even the found ones. And I hope that my books are recognized in part as showing like the power and presence and beauty of existing in a place like South Texas while queer and Mexican. But I also hope that they like see the importance of giving space to those small, maybe insignificant things that make up our lives, just like like eating tacos and listening to Selena and visiting the Futero and flirting with the cute boy and hanging out with friends because these low stakes everyday moments are just as defining, just as beautiful and show existence maybe even more and that it's not something that is trying to hype up a main character as the role model for all Latina kids or it's not dragging them through trauma because that's what publishing wants, but it's just them simply existing and living and realizing and recognizing the power in that too. Um, and I, I think also from like an outsider experience, and I talked about this in a Barnes and Noble blog I was able to do, I think it's important for those outside of our community to cheer for the authenticity and intersectional and intersectionalism to support Latina stories written by Latina authors and to help us seek the power to write our own stories because that's just going to make them better when they're not given a rubric from people giving us money for these stories. I agree with that, what everyone has said so far. And for me, especially, I want everybody to know about Three Kings Day. <laughs> I want, I'm on a quest to let folks know that Christmas keeps going on for us. And I want you to put your box out, put your shoes out, whatever, <laughs> however you celebrate, you know, it's beyond Santa Claus and, and those other things which are wonderful, but something that allows us to show our joy and spread our joy. Like uh, Johnny said, it's not all about, you know, pain and suffering. We have joyful moments and they deserve to be seen and they deserve to be celebrated. Love that. I think the last thing I will add is the common thread that connects all of my books is love. Platanos are love. Literally, it's in the title. I want readers to know that their ancestors and everyone that came before them loved them fiercely and deeply, so much so that they passed down their recipes in secret for generations and generations and generations so that they can then have it. Um, my second book, The Bronx is My Home, um, it's a love letter to the Bronx and it's a love letter to all the kids in the Bronx so that they know that they can literally be whatever they want to be 
And then my third book, Gloriana Presente, a first day of school book, it's it's a love letter to immigrants. It's a love letter to kids that are nervous on their first day of school. So I was very fortunate to be deeply loved by my mom and my grandmother. Um, and I know that there are kids that have those people in their life, but I also know that there are kids that need more love in their life. And I hope that when they read my books, they they can like feel me virtually hugging them as they're reading them. So yeah, I want them to feel loved. <laughs> Thank you all so much. This was such a great conversation. I feel like I got some more ideas for future podcasts and learning about our experiences, how rebellious we are, how funny we are, how those plain moments. I feel like that's a whole nother podcast, Johnny. Like we need to talk about like those like little moments and also talking like a podcast, just like strictly about joy. I I think this is great. You are all amazing, talented authors. Um, If you'd like to learn more about Las Musas or our books, please visit our website at lasmusasbooks.com or find us on social media at lasmusasbooks. And be sure to check out our bookshop page where each purchase of one of our book goes towards supporting independent bookstores. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also sign up for the Las Musas newsletter to have podcast updates as well as other Musa news, such as release dates, teasers, spotlights, and so much more delivered straight into your inbox. Thanks for listening.